Okay, so welcome to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. You've been staying well, Adam, because from what I hear, the whole town has COVID. (laughs) Like every single person has COVID. Uh, the ones yeah. that don't know they have COVID, they have COVID. So. Yeah, it's going around. Wave it's, six begins in earnest. Probably the worst one. <laughs> it's all anecdotal, though, because nobody's keeping any numbers. But yeah. No, no. I thought COVID was over. So. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was over when Spider-Man came out. I thought it was like, we're not going to. Best spring ever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Those are words are going to come back to haunt maybe later in the show. <laughs> Okay, Open Sources is CFU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about Lydia's news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Leanne Caron. She is one of the city councillors that represents CFRU and the rest of Ward 5. And she will talk to us about the proposed challenges and changes to the official plan. That was discussed last night at council, as well as the upcoming park plan, which is coming to committee next week. That is going to be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news a few news items from the last week, including the upcoming leadership review of Alberta Premier Jason Kenney. Can a mail-in vote save him from the lunatics that are trying to take over the asylum? His words, not mine. Literally his words, actually. But first, uh, back to Ukraine. Uh, There was some hope for peace. On Tuesday, there was a meeting in Turkey, between the Ukrainians and the Russians, uh, there seemed to be some indication that um, peace could be breaking out or at least some positive developments. Russia said that they were going to pull back some of their forces in the northern region of Ukraine, especially around the capital area, around Kiev. Uh, the Ukrainian delegation were talking about maybe some of the demands that Russia was making, which could include a uh, 15-year process to um, look at Crimea, uh, the Crimea area, and um, about making arrangement for some kind of agreement where Ukraine would not join NATO, but they would be allowed to join the European Union if they wanted, or they would not be protected by NATO's Article 5, but they could work out some kind of Article 5 arrangement with surrounding countries. That seemed to have gone up in smoke because uh, the military bombardment of this area, Cherniev, uh, seems to be continuing. The governor of Cherniev says that uh, the Russians have not let up. But there was reports this afternoon from the British um, that the Russians may be sending some of their people back to Belarus because um, uh, they're, they're looking to... I guess, re-coordinate forces or trying to look to send more instead of trying to take Kiev, which is still very like it's even more unlikely to happen now because they've been pushed back by the Ukrainians. But they're going to uh, redeploy uh, some of their troops in the Donbass area where they do have a pretty firm footprint. And this is the area that, of course, is where there has been fighting between Ukraine and Russia for eight years now. So uh no change <laughs> yeah that's the whole the war didn't start in uh february march it started eight years ago that's right mm-hmm. uh yeah i always kind of forget that turkey's in nato mm-hmm. 
I, you know, it's something I suppose we should know. But then when this, oh yeah, Turkey broke it. It's like, oh yeah, they're a NATO, NATO country peace deal. And then I don't know if they're going to go and bomb the Kurds tomorrow, but that's yeah, a different story. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting coming out of the previous uh, negotiations, the poisoning allegations of Abramovich. I'm, I'm mm. actually was surprised. I'm not sure why he's there. And they're looking for somebody close to Putin, but not necessarily. I, I, I don't know why he's there. It's kind of like when Bono shows up at a thing, it's like, why is he there? Uh, <laughs> and two of the Ukrainians well, were affected by this alleged poisoning, skin peeling or something. So it's like, okay, what do they say? Don't eat, drink or touch. And it's like, how do you not touch stuff? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, hopefully no poisonings uh, with us when it was in Turkey, but that's not to say, you know, the reach is uh, long for c- certain countries. Uh, and of course, Russia was supposed to that the exact quote, I think, was they were going to drastically reduce their presence in the area, as you said, Chernev, which has been is still getting hit. Now, as to whether that's poor communication or, uh, you know, they have to get all those apartments full of drug addicts before, you know, they fully withdraw. Um, mm. I'm yeah, that was a bad joke. I'm sorry. But uh Still going back to Putin's original, was it drug addicts and Nazis? All those. Uh, yeah, they have actually dropped the denazification caveat in their no. in their negotiations. They, they no right. longer want to denazify Ukraine. I guess it's not a problem anymore. All the Nazis in Ukraine. Yeah, wherever <laughs> uh, wherever they were. But yeah, if 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 anything, it is looking like this um, so called peace deal is to regroup. That is the recurring theme or word that you'll see. Uh, and concentrating the resources in the Donbass. That's mm-hmm. like it was the key goal. I don't know why that wasn't the goal initially. I'm not saying the mm-hmm. Russians should have invaded uh, the Donbass, but mm-hmm. those two, um, the two breakaway states are, uh, it sounds like one of them officially wants to align. Donetsk wants to align with Russia. They're mm-hmm. like, we want to join with Russia. Mm-hmm. And Luhansk, so these are the two, the two, uh, states that have been in question for a long time. Uh, Luhansk is saying they're going to have a referendum. Yeah, maybe that'll be like the Crimea referendum, right? Yeah, right. 99% of people said we want to be part of Russia. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's looking like that's the key goal with its uh, lithium and, uh, you know, rare earth elements, oil. Oh, sorry, Nazis. Uh, <laughs> yeah, rare minerals, all that stuff. But hey, remember, I was thinking back to February. It's like, oh, we have we have no plans to invade. Mm-hmm. That came up today. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the footage, finding the footage. It's like finding the Will Smith making a bald joke footage. Mm-hmm. Footage of uh, Putin's <laughs> like, oh, no, we don't. Uh, we're, we're not going to invade. That's never happening. I mean, that's the problem with all of this is Putin uh, lies like a rug. And, uh, you, know, you know, you're supposed to sort of... Uh, <laughs> you're supposed to sort of look peer into the in, into the glass and try and guess where or, or what he's going to do next which is why the thing with the um oh what's his face the billionaire the oligarch uh that was poisoned the, the guy who owns chelsea abramovich abramovich that's right um yeah who is like one of the only um oligarchs who doesn't have sanctions on him that's be- apparently because Zelensky um asked them not to because he's been acting as this go-between well why would putin poison like his own guy um i mean that's an interesting question and you know it just why um you know you want to have some sort of diplomatic lane open which it seems what, what abramovich is doing of course abramovich has been 
very vocal about like oh i'm not in i'm not tight with putin like i'm just kind of like a oligarch all out here by myself i have no ties to putin which so he's been on my yacht but we don't really you know yeah, <laughs> which is, yeah i mean it's, my it's, other yacht the baby right. yacht that comes out of the big yacht yeah. <laughs> right it's on my secondary yacht it's on my vacation yacht um it's you know so what was the message there the ukrainians aren't going to poison like their own people um they're not going to poison like the one Russian who seems like he's if he's not on their side, but at least is willing to talk to them. So what's Putin's game here? And the thing you mentioned, we don't want to sound like Russian strategic experts at all, but like, <laughs> why not focus on the Donbass to begin with? Um, a smart strategist, I would think that's the way they would do things. They took Crimea. They went into Dunbass. Why not secure Dunbass and then start working your way west across the map if the intention is to take over the whole place? Do it smartly. Uh, it, it just seems like he sorely miscalculated. And then reports today that apparently the military leaders in Russia are afraid to tell him just how mm. Putin, I mean, how badly it's going. This whole thing is... is if the whole thing wasn't sounding like downfall before, it is definitely sounding like downfall now. That famous scene where, you know, all the Nazi generals go in and like go into the bunker and tell Hitler that they're basically the war is basically lost and it's apparently news to Hitler. Um, maybe the meme of the century, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. meme of the century. Like, hopefully, it's not that bad. But at the same time, there are the report, like we talked last week about the reports that it's like 15,000 Russians who have been killed. And we're never probably going to get a firm number about that. But there are loads of sort of defense industry people who are looking at the data, looking at the intelligence from NATO and the US and saying, you know what, 15,000, whatever the truth is, we'll never know the truth. 15,000 is probably as close as we're going to get to the truth. So um, how much longer can they keep up the facade that you know, this is a winnable situation. It's clearly not a winnable situation. Yeah, there's like shades of Trump there hiding the, you know, hiding yeah. the paperwork from the, uh, the yeah. U.S. Keep, I've heard the claim more than once saying that Putin's being misled by his advisors. Uh, but that, I mean, did we need the U.S. to tell us that? I mean, sure, I'm sure like Anonymous could have told us yes, that this is what's going on. It sounds like they're telling the guy exactly what he wants to hear. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the intel is is bad and but also it sounds like they're they're he's i don't totally believe this that they're saying he's unaware of how bad the economy is being hit mm. as well i guess he, you know maybe it's the same with the financial advisors that you know they they're like oh yes everything's great sir everything's you know we're fine yeah. and yet it was announced today that poland's plan by the end of the year is no more russian right it's just like we're just getting rid of it we're going to get it from i don't know somebody else but not uh, uh yeah and as for as for the other things that have been said like are you know are have their war crimes been committed it's like well you know, mm. war is pretty much a crime but the, yeah. the aforementioned apartments we were talking about getting bombed uh you know you're killing babies in babushka you're probably a war criminal so mm. yeah just it's the the, the pattern of the apartment seems really indiscriminate it's it's just to, mm. to cause it, to throw chaos into the mix, right? It's like, well, we're just going to do this. Uh, is it Mar Mariupol is like, it's, it's just going to be a, a rubble and everyone's left. And I think today was announced today that they finally, the refugees that they're able to count at least has gone over 4 million. Yeah. And that's been in a month. And that doesn't include the, I believe it's at least 6 million internally displaced. Now, hopefully 
if things do stay relatively calm and keep, I don't fully believe that's the case. But if it is, mm-hmm. you know, maybe people can get uh, some respite there for a time. Uh, how long that time is, I don't know. But uh, yeah, so I will say fluid situation. We're recording in advance, but um, <laughs> it's just unbelievable. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, Mariupol is pretty much destroyed. It's there's no there's no city anymore. Um, and then you have there there was a missile attack in in, in leave uh, over the weekend too, which was interesting timing because it's close to the border of Poland, which uh, you know at the time uh, Joe Biden was in Poland um, making his famous gaff speech. For God's oh, yeah, was... sake, the man cannot remain in power. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, my God, that was the half of the century. And, you know, it's uh, probably not great when you're the head of the country fa- that, <laughs> you know, sort of famous for enforcing regime change on places. But uh, yeah. I was, I was, you know, Ben Rhodes, who was uh, one of the uh, foreign policy advisors to Obama pointed out, you know, <laughs> Putin's always talking about regime change. He's always like, even like at times when things were relatively quiet, he'd be on the phone to Obama and he's like, you're going to come in and re- change the regime here. And Obama's like, no, we're not changing the regime. So, I mean, it's always this kind of <laughs> paranoid thing in the back of Putin's mind that, you know, he's going to be replaced, which probably isn't helping the situation because he's probably thinking that there are assassins everywhere and maybe that's why he poisoned abramovich too it's just like i can't let this guy get too big a head because otherwise he's gonna think he can run the place and when, when you said that i was picturing that the phone call in dr strange love there with that you know yuri we really should talk about this so i mean not to make light of anything i probably shouldn't have just as soon as you said that I'm like no we're not gonna do that but um i can't i can't see there's been some discussions whether Zelensky and, and putin will sit down together i can't see that the risk I would say for both of them would be really great. I mean, Putin's already paranoid enough that his own people are going to shank him or something with that mm-hmm. the, the large table. But Zelensky would be taking a massive, massive chance unless they went to like completely neutral ground. And even then, um, you know, My every sus- bottle of water is suspect. Every chicken leg is suspect. It's like, what? well, this, yeah. this this is it. My suspicion is Putin is not going to go anywhere, no. even neutral ground. No. Um, at this point, um, Zelensky is definitely not going to Moscow. He goes to Moscow. He's never leaving again. Uh, so, yeah, it's just you know, what, how how do you reach a peace when <laughs> nobody well, when nobody trusts each other and and when and when the one guy apparently trusts no one, even his yes men anymore. Yeah. So. Putin would accept it if it was full surrender, right? But it's not just—it's just not happening. So it's—it's it's just you know we talking all the way through this the last five or six weeks. It's just like, well, where is the end game in this? And the end game is no clearer. Almost six weeks into this war now, a uh, month and a half, um, because it requires Putin to basically capitulate. He screwed up. He thought that you know and. You know, he's lost welcome us as liberators. Yeah, sure. I mean, he's lost senior commanders in Ukraine, too. He's lost colonels and generals. Yeah. So, you know, forget about like the the 18, 19 year old kids who are conscripted, Um, like just the the experienced guys. There just seemed to be no strategy there. He seemed to be of the opinion that just like 
people would see Russian tanks coming and, you know, throw their stuff into a go bag and get gone. But that's not what happened. And it's very clear that they can't, even if they can take the country, they can't hold it. They'll be facing it with an insurgency. They haven't been able to really expand past what gains they made in the first few days. Like the Western, like the far Western part of the country is gone, but they couldn't even take the capital, even though the capital's right there on the border, or not right there on the border, but you know, mm. within a, a day's drive of the border. Um, they couldn't do it. That sick. Remember the sixty-five kilometer long convoy. Yep. <laughs> you know where. You know Gone. what happened to that. So, at, at the end of the day, you know, what what is the solution? Um, what you know, what is Putin going to get out of this? What does he think he's going to get out of this? Does he think does he, is he still have the opinion that he's going to get total victory out of this? Um, I don't know. And I don't well, think anybody he, knows if he'd have seen the, the little film there from the Molotov making factory, former beer factory, he might have changed <laughs> his mind because there's lots of more stuff ready to go. That's not just Molotovs, but even more powerful. So, yeah. Speaking of power uh, in Alberta, Jason Kenney is struggling to hold on to his leadership. There is a leadership review coming up on April the 9th. It was supposed to be in person in Red Deer, Alberta. 15,000 flaming red angry UCP members were ready. Unmasked UCP We're ready to descend. But the UCP board has said, no, it's going to be a mail-in ballot. It's going to be open from April 9th to May 11, I think. So 33. Three days for people to send in that mail-in ballot, which uh, you know we know if you if you are politically minded in a certain way is controversial. Uh, this on top of a tape attained by the CBC that has Jason Kenny essentially ranting and raving to his caucus that the kooks are coming and they need to make sure the lunatics don't take over the asylum. So uh, also. Uh, he doesn't need this job, I think, was another cherry quote from the tape. So uh, great. It's great. It's a great time for Jason Kennedy right now. Going well. And it's it's funny how even when he's supposed to be like doesn't know he's being recorded, he still sounds like yeah. he's presenting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there's no there's no casual voice with this guy. He's always just on. He always he's just on. sounds like this. And I'm all I'm the smartest guy. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And he the other day, well, the other day, because it's only been a couple of days jumped on this the uh, smith rock meme train mm-hmm. i don't know if you saw it the uh, yeah yeah the comment about green energy i don't want to get too much into that but it's like i think he's trying to harness some of that pure uh <laughs> pure bitcoin polyev mojo uh, yeah yeah but that's that's the least of his worries right because there's not only what you're saying there but the uh, the leaking out i guess or the the testimony from the kamikaze campaign mm-hmm. uh, and if people aren't aware of what that is is when you run sort of a straw candidate to uh beat on your opponent and then they withdraw so mm. kamikaze campaign that's but, tw- and- that's 2017 so that's far yeah. far but pre-pandemic for people's uh memory holes <laughs> but they, it, it's come back to the fore because yeah, yeah, yeah. While it isn't illegal to do that, it's illegal to bankroll it with gray money, uh, which is exactly what got, uh, is that not similar to what got Dean Del Mestro in the leg irons? Like pretty I much. So. Yeah. So, you know, that that's kind of looming as well. And Brian Jean was the the opponent and mm-hmm. Brian Jean is now back. He He's won back. the, yeah, he won the by-election in Fort Mac, Lac La Um Now, mind you, it was on a 24% turnout, but he, he won by quite a bit. 
But mm -hmm. he was, uh, if people don't recall, he was Wild Rose mm -hmm. in 2015. So he's mm -hmm. like the, let's call him the Wild Rose faction. And supposedly the Wild the Wild Roses, the Wild Roses still run candidates. They have an amazing amount of small parties there. Alberta Party, mm. Advance Alberta Party, I think. The, uh, <laughs> the Alberta, yeah, there's just so many. It has to start with Alberta. Yeah, Alberta yeah. Proud? I don't know. but And the Wild Roses. <laughs> so... Uh, Brian Jean, former Wild Rose, but now is uh, he's gunning for Kenny Sollard. So the mm -hmm. straw candidate, uh, the Kamikaze campaign thing probably won't work this time, mm -hmm. uh, particularly when it's a mail in ballot. But I'm not even have they even I guess they decide on the ninth who's on the ballot. Adam, is that like Gene is obviously going to run, but who are there any, is there anybody else in play or no? I think I think the review has to fail first before they can sort of officially oh, right, open of course. it up. Yeah. So because it's not quite a California recall situation where it's like vote yes or no if this person can stay and then vote for this uh, <laughs> vote for uh, a potential replacement in case they're voted out. So it's not like that. Um, yeah. The thing the thing with the mail in ballot it's very clearly designed. Like not to set up a, a fake thing. It's like we're gonna have fake mail in ballots. We're gonna bring out a briefcase under the table with all the fake ballots or anything, any any kooky stuff from the 2020 election like that. But it, it is clearly designed. It's it's he's clearly operating on the theory that people co the people who are playing to go to Red Deer on April the 9th are pissed at him. And if you leave it to the room to decide whether he stays or whether he goes. He's gone. And I think Kenny learned the lesson of Aaron O'Toole well. Th like in the room, you can find enough people to make sure you're gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you were to leave it up to the full constituency, like 15,000 people are going to be there in Red Deer. There's something like 50,000 members of the UCP party across Alberta. So if you could harness the other 35,000, the people who are like, I don't want, I don't have time to go or I wasn't want to go. I'm fine with Kenny's leadership. What they're going to do is they're going to, on April the 9th, they're going to phone every member of that party who got an envelope and they're going to phone them and phone them and phone them until they hear the magic words. I returned the envelope. This isn't a game of getting at, this is a game of getting out the vote. And it's about getting out the vote of the people who just honestly, uh, are not paying attention to the politics of this every day. The question is, are there enough people who will give Kenny a pass, perhaps recognizing they don't want to turn the party over to the far right constituency? Uh, and how many people, And because this is a big bugaboo in Alberta politics too, how many people are going to be uh, understandably mad about the, like the changing on a dime Demo, uh, democratic process of all this. It was going to be an in-person meeting. Now it's a mail-in ballot. They said it was going to be in person because that was the best way to ensure integrity. And then all of a sudden we're doing mail-in. So I, I can imagine there are probably a lot of people in the UCP who are thinking, okay, well, you're, you know, you're kind of changing the rules because you didn't like the way the game was going. And I don't like that. So someone who might've let Kenny slide and under under different circumstances might be inspired to say, look, this guy's just obsessed with keeping himself in power. So we don't need that. Yeah. And it's, I, I'm not sure how to the right Brian Jean is. I mean, I, mm. I he, he, he is a bit, but the, his, you know, Jeff Calloway, who was the straw candidate I was mentioning, Mm -hmm. Before the dark horse, so-called, is ex Wild Rose. So there's mm -hmm. there is some sort of 
there are some friends in the, the Wild Rose contingent, uh, Kenny, because it was supposed to be the Unite the Right candidate, right? Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to mm-hmm. bring everybody together, drive around my, in my F-150, and I'm going to unite <laughs> everybody. Uh, and I, something that may help him is is that the price of oil is on the rise again. So mm-hmm. the economic, because Alberta is so tied to that, mm-hmm. and he can just go, jobs, 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 oil, oil, oil. Um, but again, I don't know how much that'll help him because if 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 they're if they're reading the room, and when mm-hmm. I see the room, I mean the province properly, he is mm-hmm. deeply unpopular, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, do they? I've heard in a couple of areas, it's like if he gets the gig, it's pretty much um, handing the the government to the NDP, right? Uh, now, I so I don't even know how true that is, but. That that is the back and forth, right? So, uh, it's it remains to be seen. But if they, yeah, I guess there's still a lot to play out until then. But if he, um, the leadership is it a? It's not a super majority, is it? It's fifty percent, right? I think it's I think it's a simple majority. So you can get by with a with a squeaker then. I mean, I think at this point it's starting to look like the only way Rachel Notley is not going to become premier again is if you know you started giving out million dollar checks on roll up the rim it's it's i i mean i mean it just no stickers on the license plates wink it just seems kind of inevitable at this point then you look at what's happening at the federal level and you mentioned pierre polivere and he is winning you know doing well with this sort of mean meme warfare thing but in that caucus um the federal caucus the uh the mp for lethbridge uh rachel thomas is her name she gets up in the house of commons yesterday and calls justin trudeau a dictator so oh you're a dictator and we're going to vote you out the next election. It's like, okay, well now we're, you know, having this sort of game of trolls in the <laughs> house of commons. Yeah. And you need to be like a really strong leader in order to, you know, clamp that down, tie that down. And Jason Kenny, you know, does not have that ability to tie the trolls down at this point. Um, not when like there's, people who are of the more mainstream wing of the party are kind of fed up with his antics. Um, it's just like who, 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 whose confidence does he have right now? That's tough to say. Like, is it just people who don't want the, um, the more far right fringe of the party to take over? Well, is, is that enough? I guess we're going to find out. Yeah. And I thought, I thought I overheard him, t- not overheard, but a, a bit where he was talking about the, you know, the Tiki torch gang. He is really mm-hmm. trying to paint the rest of them as extremists and him mm-hmm. as the moderate, mm-hmm. uh, which he isn't really, I don't know what no. you call a moderate. Who's not really a moderate. It's like, I mean, we're talking about Jason Kenny, who is, who went to school in San Francisco um, and then wrote a letter or, or wrote an article as uh, for the student paper complaining about letting pro-choice people protest on campus was basically the same as letting pedophiles and people from the church of Satan protest on campus. But uh, we will leave you to decide whether or not that sounds extreme or not, because we have to take a break and we're going to come right back with our interview with counselor Leanne Caron. You are listening to open source squelf here on CFRU 93.3 FM CFRU.ca Guelph campus and community radio.
And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records 21 MacDonnell in downtown Guelph. And that is on our chart. I don't remember the number at all, but the band is called <laughs> El Matue, which means, I think it means she knocks me out. The album is called Le Crucifier Figuratif, which is uh, the figurative crucifixion. And the song is called Je t'aime ta photo, which means I like that photo. Mm. Uh, yeah, so full simultaneous translation provided by me. Uh, <laughs> love that album. Love that. It's Yeah, it's just I, I can't get enough of it. So. Mm-hmm. I think the Royal Cats might like it too. So. That's why we chose it. Well, some people must like it since it's on the chart somewhere where we don't know. But that's Morial. okay. And CFRE, <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. We're going to throw it to an interview we did earlier this week with Councillor Leanne Caron. She is the city councillor for Ward 5 and or one of the city councillors for Ward 5, I should say. And. Uh, this was kind of like a preview discussion that we're now airing after the meeting, but we talk a lot about the official plan amendment that's now, uh, that just was passed last night at city council. Uh, it will come back for ratification later this year. Uh, but we talk about some of the ins and outs of that, particularly issues of density and, uh, trying to make room for all these people who are moving to Guelph, as well as making sure we have lots of parks and open spaces for everyone because, the park plan is coming to committee on Monday. So if, uh, if you're interested in, you know, planning Guelph's immediate future, this is a very, very big time for you. In the meantime, we're going to hear what Councillor Karan has to say. We caught up with her earlier this week over the old Zoom machine. So let's press play on that right now. Leanne Karan, thank you so much for coming on with me today. Always a pleasure, Adam. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're kind of coming at council lately from two different sides. You've been staying with the coming in virtually. I've been there in person. So how do you think the hybrid format's been working so far? Well, for me, it's a little early to tell because the mask mandate was only lifted, what, less than two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Wastewater in Guelph and anecdotally, cases are through the roof. Um, And I'm a good testament to that. I had hoped to return to council chambers and uh, yesterday I tested positive for COVID. So I am currently isolated. I had intended, I was on the list to be in chambers last night. Uh, but uh, I'm still from home. So the hybrid for me means that we can continue uh, and we have a stable participation, uh, which is a good thing. And uh, everyone can be in whatever location they feel is best for their own situation. Are you feeling all right? Considering your... Yeah, I'm asymptomatic so far, um, okay. knock on wood. Um, I, I knew I had an exposure late last week, so I've just been taking precautions accordingly and waiting it out, and here we are. Okay, that's good news then. Um, by the time this goes to air, the meeting will have already happened, but we can certainly get your thoughts, and I know you have them, about uh, the official plan amendment that's coming forward. And I guess the important, I guess the, the top of mind thing is, um, there, there are all kinds of changes coming in terms of, you know, density and how high, you know, developers can build in your considered and experienced opinion. Uh, does this OPA manage to balance the needs of, of Guelph? And I know this is a big question, but the needs of Guelph to grow considerably for the next 30 years, while at the same time addressing 
a lot of concerns there are in the community about uh, just how big some of these buildings are getting. That is a huge question. We are going to need two hours to debate that. Um, but for me, here's where the OP lands. We are legislated, we are regulated by, um, by the province to do an official plan update every five years. Um, we must bring our OP into compliance with provincial regulations, as you know. So I would say 80% of our OP amendment is getting ourselves into compliance. And so those growth targets, those density requirements, those uh, source water protection, uh, planning act, all, all of the regulatory stuff um, in the OP um, is something we don't have a choice about. Um, it is just changing the language and updating, updating our plan. So what's left? What's left for the people? Um, not a lot. Um, and yet most of our efforts on public engagement are designed around um, the um, belief that we can influence the outcome of some of the regulations in the official plan, which we just can't. So, so density is one of them. Um, and this is, this is the hard part for me, is that I fully understand uh, the need for density. I understand housing affordability, housing availability. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in that generation where my kids um, will never be able to, I mean, um, they're living in rental situations and, and their footprint, uh, what they'll have in housing um, will never match what my parents who were boomers ever had or aspired to have. Um, that's a huge problem, but it has benefits. Environmentally, we know, we know we can't continue to live in the footprint that we have the last 50 years. Um, but there's ways we can do it that still bring all that quality of life to the city of Guelph and its, and its residents. Density in itself is not a bad thing. It's mm -hmm. just, do you have green space to offset it? Do you have trails and places to walk and, and clean air and, and rivers and retail ground level and local food economy? Do you have all the other things that uh, contribute to quality of life and more dense housing and employment? Mm -hmm. I think that's where the OP really um, needs to focus that 20% of what's in our control is we have to build it. We know what we have to build mathematically, but how are we going to build it? And where are we going to build it? And what's it going to look like? And where are the, where's the parkland? And where are the amenities? And where's the uh, uh, ground uh, water protection, natural heritage, and cultural heritage that makes Guelph a place instead of a faceless, placeless concrete jungle where mm. it's all about density and not about people? Density is an interesting issue for your ward because so much of Ward 5 is uh, a heritage district. Um, so there's probably not going to be too many towers going in along uh, University <laughs> Avenue or, or you know, places along the, the upper parts of Gordon. Um, what are the concerns about growing density in, in your ward? 
Well, there's lots of opportunity to grow density and the, the conservation district, the Heritage Conservation District in Brooklyn and the College Hill is actually a teeny tiny little fragment. It, it, it is one little stretch of Gordon Street where, um, where that, that heritage is real. It's not, it's not something we created to manufacture heritage that didn't exist. It, it was about creating apertures as you travel north to south from um, Woodlawn Woolwich to Claire and Maltby. Um, what is your experience? And as you're going through um, Woolwich and all those uh, homes between London and downtown, and as you're going from the river to college, um, you experience an aperture of a different building style. But as soon as you get out of those areas, Gordon Street is uh, Gordon Street's a whole different beast south of south of Gordon or south of um, uh, College, and it's a whole different beast um, uh, north of London. So there's lots of opportunity to add density, um, but you don't have to destroy what we have. I mean, you don't have to destroy the character of what makes Guelph livable um, in order to add density. We have brownfield sites, we have, um, we have undeveloped lots, we have, uh, we have some low density that is being redeveloped for high density right now, as you know, south of Arkell Road, there's lots of applications for adding density there. Um, um, but you don't have to destroy the things that make Guelph unique um, in the process. And you don't have to destroy our natural heritage, our wildlife corridors, our green spaces, our parks, our trails, our linkages um, in order to build that density. It's just a matter of balancing and controlling where it goes. And I think what Guelph, uh, what Guelphites like is, is what it looks like. We actually care about quality architecture. Um, rectangular boxes are not our building tradition. Our building tradition is to, is to build interesting places. And you can still do that with um, building materials and uh, architecture, um, you know, some cultural association with place, lots of, lots of creative ways to reach our goals. I do, it does concern me because I think that's sort of where the theoretical meets the practical with a lot of these planning meetings. And, you know, you've sat through more of them than I have, but we are kind of seeing a lot of this pushback now. Um, yeah, there are a lot of like places, opportunities to create more density, but the immediate reaction is always like, Ooh, no, not there. We're not against development. We are against this development here. And I guess, you know, um, there's kind of a matter of the practical reality and people's expectations. You know, once upon a time, they were going to build like a, a small tower in at this specific corner. And now it's going to be a nine story tower and people immediately have a visceral reaction to that. And yeah. I guess, yeah, you know what I'm getting at. I know what you're getting at because that's, that's why we have an official plan and a zoning bylaw. So for me, it's okay to add density and it's okay to adjust our story limits. And it's okay to say, okay, you know, 20 years ago, this site was, you know, it was low to medium density, but based on changes to policy, it can now be a high density site. There's also sites that are zoned high density that I don't think are um, acceptable anymore that that were zoned in the 80s for high density that need to be down zoned and and I'll put it out there the arm tech site on John Street is one of them mm. that's adjacent to the river it's inside a neighborhood that cannot handle 10 to 12 stories of traffic 
um, the floodplain, the it's across the river from Homewood. It just it's completely inappropriate for high density in my in my books. But someone in the 80s um, building high rises along Cardigan um, uh, was was the thing to do. And, and it's no longer appropriate. So downsizing and upsizing is, is part of our evolution as a city of what's what um, what's working and what's not. And so we have built in the past, high density buildings in places that aren't working. And we need to learn from that and adjust mm. our OP accordingly. And there's places that are zoned low density that can, that arterial roads, especially that can take high density. But you, 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 you touched on a question about where, where we shouldn't, there mm. are places where we shouldn't build anything, mm-hmm. obviously wetlands mm. and wildlife yeah. corridors. Uh, obviously demolishing, uh, you know, a, a designated building to, to simply for the purpose of adding density with no other um, civic benefits um, is the wrong place. Uh, where we have planned for parks and trail linkages. Um, and then there's also balanced density in that I don't believe you have to have 20, 12 to 20 story towers in a mass corridor, building after building after building, and not have any balanced apertures. And by that, I mean where you can see into a site or you can see a a wetland behind or or where there is low density behind, but the tower actually completely obliterates their access to to natural sun. So in those locations, and you, you you identify them clearly by going onto the site and saying, you know, this is not going to work. You know, planning by visiting, you know, looking at the the site conditions. And in those cases, it's okay to say, you know what, this, this little acre, this acre in between these two towers should be medium, should be, uh, uh, should be uh, townhouses or stacked towns or four stories or six stories, just to give some balance. Mm. If you drive a kilometer and all you see is nothing but massive walls of 12 to 20 stories and nothing else, it's a whole different experience than when you drive a kilometer and see low-rise towns, uh, six-story walk-up, a 20-story tower, a trail entrance, a little bit of wetland, then some medium, then some high. I think our neighborhoods benefit from from a variety, diversity, balance. It also speaks to being able to age in place. You can buy your first your first uh, high density, you know, six hundred square foot, four hundred square foot mini uh, um, uh, home, um, and and move into the, the adjacent neighborhood if your family grows. I think. Those are the quality spaces that cities are building. And and you look at places like Europe, and I use this as an example all the time. I know it's Canada. I know we're in the GTA. But European cities are highly dense. Mm. You'd never know it. That's a good point. They are as dense as we are aspiring to be, but they don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. So you have to ask why. And the why is because it's not a monoculture of architecture. They integrate green spaces, they integrate trails, they plant trees, Um, they don't cover their surfaces with parking lots. And a lot of our density space, a lot of our building space, a lot of our available um, um, space is taken up by parking. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. 
Uh, yes, I would like to. Uh, I am keeping one eye on the time, though. Uh, the, the point you're getting at, though, is, is, is important. I wonder, though, does, does the, the planning amendment that's coming forward, does it get into that nuance you're talking about? Like, are you um, confident that, you know, you can consider it both as a citywide document, but also, you know, focus on that one corner where um, you can institute some of these specific changes you're talking about? Is it both good in the macro and the micro um, in terms of as we're looking to grow? Um, yes, that's the short answer in that the official plan tells you what the basic land use is. Is it high, medium, low, institutional, industrial, commercial? Um, the zoning bylaw is the micro document. The zoning bylaw then breaks down residential into R1, R2, R3, R4. That tells you how many stories and what your setbacks are and what your angular plane is. The zoning bylaw is where the rubber hits the road. Mm. Now, we just happen to be in the middle of a comprehensive zoning bylaw review. And so the OP and the zoning bylaw need to go hand in hand and they need to, they need to be backed up by good sound um, policy and planning, um, planning in a way where, where our residents can understand what it's going to look like. And I think that's mm. where we get into trouble is when I'm, when I move and I look across the street and I say, Oh, that's zoned medium residential. I don't have to worry. There's going to be, you know, beautiful Victorian looking townhouses across the street. And then an application comes in for, you know, a six story concrete box. Um, that's where, that's where we run into um, challenges is, is, I, I have to say that of all the planning applications that I have dealt with over the years, most of the public engagement, most of the public commentary is, what is it going to look like? And so that's where we need to do better, I think. That's where urban design guidelines for everything from how many trees, what's the parking lot going to look like? What are the building materials? What does the facade look like? That, that's, I think, probably more important to your average resident. Um, but it's not what planning policy is supposed to be doing. Right. It's, we've kind of got it backwards. Uh, people are interesting, interested in things that are coming up in site planning that aren't, have nothing to do with zoning, uh, which is what the planning meetings are all about. Yeah, and you've, you've been to many planning meetings. You know that counselors were the worst at it. We spend 80% of our debate talking about where are the garbage cans going to go and right. where's the snow removal pile and, and, and what kind of bushes are going to be in, you know, on street level. Yeah. Um, that's all site plan stuff. And, yeah. and that's because those are the questions we're getting from, from residents. I hear all the time. You hear all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with density mm -hmm. as long as it looks nice. Mm -hmm. um, and housing affordability um, is right now planning and develop, or not planning, planning is a city, city department, but development is in the hands of the private sector. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we need, what I believe we need is more development in the hands of nonprofits. Mm -hmm. We need more cooperative housing. We need more social housing because that's where we're going to wrestle that affordability um, behemoth to the ground. Right. Um, a lot of the high density that's being built in the city right now is not affordable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, 
a good example. I know you're you're out in the West End and and along um, Paisley Road there, luxury luxury beautiful buildings, luxury rentals. Um, they're not affordable for your average um, you know single individual trying to make a living working full time in a low wage job. It's not affordable. And I would point out that's sort of like an ideal build because it's it's density and it's right next to shopping and amenities and several transit routes. So it would be sort of like one of these ideal sort of 15 community, 15 minute communities we're always talking about. Yeah. But we're not building co-op housing. We're not building social housing. And that's, uh, that's important. And, you know, um, you know, cause you've been at council, you've heard me talk about net zero net zero just isn't about a, a, a climate change um, mitigation strategy. Net zero is also about making things affordable for the mm. people who live there. Mm-hmm. Um, utility costs are rising and it's one thing to buy a condo or rent a condo. It's another thing to um, heat one, pay your monthly <laughs> utility bills. Yeah. Um, since we, we've kind of touched on it, I know, and I know it's coming up a committee. Um, I found this, this statistic interesting, uh, in terms of the park plan uh, item, 92% of people in Guelph live within a 10 minute walk of a park, um, which I think is, uh, I think that sounds really, really good, but you know, I think we've kind of, um, as we've talked about parks in recent years, I think we're heard a lot about how we're parked efficient. So I guess the question is, uh, can we do better than 92%? And with all the building that's happening, how do we protect even that 92% watermark? And, mm-hmm. and can the park plan do that? Well, the answer to your question, can we do better? Yes, we can do, we can, we can go for hundred percent, um, <laughs> 93%, 94%, 95%. Um, we can always do better. And the question is, they may be within walking distance to a park, but what does that, what does that park offering Mm -hmm. uh and what is that how does that park link to the neighborhood and how does that park um it could be that the park is actually school ground like Mm. and it's not usable during the day so are we park deficient we absolutely will be if we grow to the level that the op envisions we will be because so much, if you look at the maps, the heat maps about um, value per acre and where the density is going, it's all going in built up areas. There's no additional parkland available in built up areas. The parks are the parks. They are where they are. Right. Um, so unless we you know, buy up 10 homes, demolish them and plant some turf, we're not building any new parks. All we're doing is adding density to existing um, existing land. So you look at those maps of where the density is going and so much is in the downtown uh, secondary plan area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of that density is high rise, it's high density. And we don't have a park for mm-hmm. that, for that population. And that's, that's the bulk of the population. And that's where the deficiency is. So we, in my, in my view, uh, my opinion, and I'm, you know, I'll be advocating for that. Um, as long as I can, is that we need to get the Wellington Park project um, moving. Uh, it has been in the, in the plan for well over a decade and no action has been taken, but that park, that Wellington Park land, uh, Gordon and Wellington, is absolutely essential for the density that we're planning to build downtown. Not just the density we're planning to build, the, the density we've already built. You've had mm. the three tri-car buildings, you put the metal works, you put all of the density that we've already added in the last decade with no net um, addition of green space for all the people who are living in those buildings. 
2027 <laughs> is our 200th anniversary. I would just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do the, um, I'll float it out there and plant the seed. We should, we should have that parkland um, as a bicentennial goal. Okay. That sounds, well, I was going to say it sounds doable, but that doesn't always, anyway, I'll leave it there. Uh, maybe to, as we're kind of running out of time here, um, the last OPA took, I think, two years to clear the, the OLT, the LPAT, whatever it was called at the time. What do you think mm-hmm. the over under is for this OPA? <laughs> <laughs> well, the last OPA, the, the delays at OMB LPAT uh, land tribunal were primarily from the development community uh, unhappy with the designation of their lands. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing that I planning in general is that we do an amazing job of, of engaging all stakeholders. And, and that includes developers. It includes residents. It includes uh, nonprofits, community groups, neighborhood groups. Not everyone gets what they want in an OP. Mm. Residents don't get everything they want. Developers don't get everything they want. Um, our job as council is to balance all of those interests, listen to all of those voices, and do what we believe, based on that input, is in the best long-term um, interests of our community. Okay. Uh, very quickly, last question: re-election, yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, no decisions have been made a hundred percent, but I, there are, there's a lot of unfinished business. When I entered this role, um, you know, the library was still an issue, uh, growth and development were major issues. And here we are again. Uh, so I do feel a commitment to see through, um, the promises that I made. All right. That sounds more like a yes than a no, but uh, we will, you will leave us in suspense. But Leanne Caron, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in the council chamber soon once you're COVID free. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. And uh, all the best to you. And thank you for continuing to run this uh, uh, open sources show and bringing these topics into the civic conversation. All right. So uh, I have to, I have to avoid using the the soundboard again because we didn't get a firm answer on that whole she running for re-election or not. But uh, so Leanne Caron is a standby in terms of our ongoing list of who's running and who's not. Uh, but otherwise, hey, good interview. We appreciate her hopping on. We appreciate it when everybody hops on. And um, well, I guess we'll just keep on keeping on. But that's the end of the show this week. We hope you liked it. And if you want to stay connected to our website, you can go to opensourcesguelph.com to do that. You can find us on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to the show again, you can download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, particularly when shows are on, check out CFRU.ca slash shows. And maybe before we completely sign off, uh, the 
celebration of life for Nikki Dredd, uh, famed CFRU host, is tonight. Uh, it's at seven. It's if you want to be there in person, it's at the Arboretum Center. And the more advanced COVID restrictions uh, for campus do apply. Um, but if you want to listen to the comfort of your comfort of your home, you can uh, live stream along with uh, the celebration of life uh, here on CFRU. So that starts at 7 p.m. And you can t- keep it tuned here for that. That is another one of those great programs that comes up every hour of every day here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for us, we'll be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources, and we will see you then.